Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Savior's love for me. Well, today we're going to be back in the book of John this morning. We're going, we were in John chapter 12 and we kind of finished up in verse 19 and I'll catch y'all back up to speed. When we got to chapter 12, chapter 12 is right after Lazarus is raised from the dead. And in Lazarus being raised from the dead, what happens instead of them being happy that Lazarus is raised from the dead, they do what? They get mad about it. The Pharisees get mad about it. And then so they want to kill Jesus, and then they want to kill Lazarus. So Jesus being anointed by Mary for his burial, and and all these things are happening. And so as we look at all these, we see that, that Jesus is coming down to the last few days. He's about five days away from being hung on the cross. And as we get to this section of Scripture this morning, remember He's already rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and and the people are crying out and saying, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And they they are really singing the verse that, uh, or, or saying the verse that, should be said when he comes back the second time because uh, really he's fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 that talks about him coming in humbly riding on the foal of of a donkey. And so as he comes in, he's coming in humbly. He's coming in as a servant. He's coming in because he's coming in to die is what he's coming to do when he comes to this feast. But everybody else is mixed up and they're saying crown him and crown him. And three days later they're going to say crucify him, crucify him. The crowd's fickle and they they uh, quickly can change their mind because Jesus is not the person they want him to be. And that amazing how... People seem to like us or like other people, and then they, when they find out that you're not who they want you to be, then uh, all of a sudden they don't want much to do with you anymore. That's what happens to Jesus. And nobody wants the real Jesus. They want the Jesus that's a feed me, a fix me, a heal me Jesus. But they don't want a Jesus that's going to tell them that they got to suffer and they have to die and they have to give up this life to live for Him. And that's kind of where it's going to come down to today. I want to start in verse 19 just to kind of give you the background for it. John chapter 12, verse 19, he says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after Him. 
right after that it says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say unto you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. This passage really comes down to the crux of the the Christian faith that the Bible tells us in in Romans chapter 6, when we are baptized, the Bible says we are baptized into Christ, that we are buried with Him, and we are raised to walk in newness of life, that we have died, we have been buried, we have been raised to walk in newness of life. In other words, when we come to Christ, what happens? We are supposed to die to ourselves, right? We're to take up our cross, follow Him, and we'll read a bunch of verses in a minute. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, It is no longer I, but but uh, Christ who's in me. The life I live, I live now by Him. That He's died to Himself. And on and on and on the Bible tells us that it's about giving up our life. That's why that song is so wonderful, the, the trust and obey. That's what we're to do with our whole lives. When we trust Christ, it's a picture of we give up our lives to Him. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, that He, if we confess Him as Lord. Lord means He's the boss, He's the King, He's over everything in our life, right? And, and when we confess Him as Lord, then believe that God has raised Him from the dead, we're going to be saved. And so what happens here is these people don't understand, and a lot of us don't understand, and it's really hard to do what Christ tells us to do, but you know what? He gives us the power to do it. And, and what He tells us to do is to give up our goals, our ambitions, our wants for Him. And then He will give us joy and peace and abundant life and so the question this morning is, are we following God? Are we trusting Him? Are we following Him? And following Him means we do what He says to do, right? And so it's kind of, this is what's happening here. This is the major point where Jesus turns from the Jews and He turns to the Gentiles, which is us. A Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. And so what happens here in verse 19, the Pharisees say at the end of the verse, look, the whole world has gone after Him. You're accomplishing nothing. In other words, everything you've tried to do to get rid of this man, to kill this man, to to make him disappear, none of it's worked. Everybody's going after this man. And, And it's not by coincidence that right after he says the whole world's gone after him, what does the next verse say? Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to, up to worship at the feast. There are certain Greeks. Now, 
in the Old Testament before Jesus died on the cross. I guess this is the New Testament. But before Jesus dies on the cross, people were considered to be God-fearers. They believed in the God of the Old Testament. And they were seeking the God of the Old Testament. And they had not believed in Jesus in the sense that we do today. They knew that one was coming. And He was going to die on the cross. And He was going to die for their sins. But they had not been saved in the sense that we do. They don't have the Holy Spirit like we do today that lives in us and dwells in us fully and completely. And so these people would come the only place they knew to worship God, and that was where the Jews were at. Now, if you remember in the Jewish temple, there were several courts. There was a court where only the women could come in. And then there was a court where only the Gentiles could come in. If you went any further in those courts, they would kill you. And then there was a court for the, for the worshipers, the regular worshipers. And then there was a court for the priests. And then there was the holiest of holies where only one priest could come in once a year. What happens is these Gentiles are coming. And they're in this section where only the Gentiles can come. And they can't go any further. They can't come any closer to God. It tells us in Ephesians 2.14, he says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. In other words, he's made the Jew and the Gentile one. The Bible tells us there is no more Jew. There is no more Gentile. There is no more male. There is no more female. We're all one in Christ. And what Christ did when he died on that cross is he broke down all those walls in the temple and says there's no longer just a place for the women to come. They join in with the men. There's no longer just a place for the Gentiles to come. They join in with the Jews. Everybody's one. We're no longer separated by anything. But the separation in the Old Testament was not because of God not liking certain people or looking down on other certain people. But what those separations were were meant to be like today. We're to be separate from the world. The Bible tells us to come out from them and be be separate. Don't be like them, right? Well, the way they were separate in the Old Testament was the way they dressed, the way they acted, the way they separated from Gentiles and the women and all the things they did. That was the way they were separated. That was how they were different from the rest of the world. And so these certain Greeks come to worship Jesus and they come to worship at the feast and it says in verse 21 then they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida Galilee and asked him saying sir we wish to see Jesus see all the Jews they're seeking a sign from Jesus but guess what the Jews the the Gentiles excuse me are wanting to interview Jesus they're wanting to see Jesus the Jews want a sign the Gentiles say I want to see Jesus There's a difference. The Jews are seeking after miracles and wonders and signs. The Gentiles are seeking after the true Jesus, the real Jesus. And so they came to Philip. And we don't know exactly why they came to Philip. It's believed that Philip and them, they had a good background in Greek. And basically when they came to them, these guys are maybe wandering around in the Gentile court. And they come up to them, and they come up to Philip, and ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And then old Philip comes and tells Andrew. Remember Andrew? He's always the one that's bringing somebody to Jesus, right? 
He brought the little boy to Jesus. He brought another woman to Jesus. And here he brings the Greeks to Jesus. And it says they told Andrew and in turn Andrew and Philip, they come and they tell Jesus. Now we don't know whether these Gentiles, these Greek guys are with them or not. We don't know because the Bible does not tell us. Here we are. They want to see Jesus. And so Andrew takes them to see Jesus. And instead of Jesus speaking directly to them, like I said, we don't know whether he even spoke to them or they came with them. Probably they did. But it says in verse 23, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Let's stop right there on that spot right there. He says that the hour has come that the Son of Man must be glorified. Now, if you remember during all the times we've been teaching in the book of John what's been going on, over and over and over again, Jesus says, remember when his mother asked him to turn the water into wine, the very first, the second chapter of the book, what does Jesus say? Woman, my hour has not come. My time has not come. About ten times as best as I could find, Jesus says in the book of John, my time has not come. My hour has not come. And what does that mean, his hour has not come? It means the time that he's to go to the cross, die for our sins, and he's going to die for everything that we've done, and that way we might have eternal life. But there's a certain time that this has got to happen, right? Remember all of this. Remember, we're on a divine timetable. That's what we're on. We're on a divine timetable because Jesus escaped from the Jews many times. He's walked out. They've tried to stone him. They've tried to push him off a cliff. They've tried all kinds of things. But what does he do? Every single time he gets away, right? Because guess what? It wasn't time for him to die. He cannot die until it's God's perfect timing and God's will on that time when they're killing the Passover lambs because Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so he cannot die until that time comes. He says, my hour, the hour has come. And he says, it's the time, it's here. You know, it's, it, it's coming. And he's five or four days away from it at this point. And it says that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, what does that mean, the Son of Man? Let's talk about what the Son of Man means. First of all, it means deity, that Jesus is God. John chapter 5, he says over and over and over, he says that he's equal with God. Secondly, it means that he is royalty. Remember what they said just a minute ago? Not a minute ago, but back in verse 13, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They knew that Jesus, if the Romans hadn't been in control, Jesus had the right to be on the throne, folks. He had the right to be on the throne if the Romans were not in control of Israel. Thirdly, it means that he is human. Remember the Bible says that he is the God-man. And as a man, he will suffer everything that we suffer, every emotion, every fear, every worry, every tear, every little thing that we've gone through, he's going to suffer. And then fourthly, it means that he is glorious. 
that He is a wonderful God, a glorious God. He is the only one who has descended from heaven and will ascend back to heaven. And fifth, it means also that He will offer us salvation. Remember, these are the passages all over the book. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I believe it is. It's a prophetic verse that speaks of Jesus being the Son of Man. And when it speaks of Him being the Son of Man, it means that He is God in human flesh. And you know what? This term is used probably 80 plus times by Jesus in the Bible. 80 plus times. And every time Jesus uses it, it is almost exclusively a term that Jesus uses to speak of, a, of Himself. Only I think there's only about one time in verse 34 in this chapter where they speak of, they say, who is this Son of Man? And, but the rest of the time, he's, it's Jesus uses it of Himself. And so what happens here? He says the Son of Man should be glorified. Now what do you mean? Jesus is going to the cross. He says He's going to be glorified. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Philippians chapter 2, verse 5-11? through 11, And it says, Because Jesus has humbled Himself and became obedient to the cross, even the death of the... humbled unto death, even the death of the cross, therefore God has done what? Also highly exalted Him, right? And given Him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, that those under the earth, those on the earth, and those in heaven, those will bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. What do you mean? The paradox of the cross is that the way up is down. I mean, everything that this world tells us to do you know what we're supposed to do? Basically the opposite. Because the world tells you to do what? Go for everything you can get. Just just run over everybody, climb the mountains, and, and just get to the top of the company, run over everybody, do everything you can to be the big dog on the block, right? But you know what? The Bible tells us to be humble, to be servants. And that's what it said in Philippians 2.5. It gave us that mind. It says, let this mind be in you. But Jesus looked out for others. He looked out for others more than himself. He took care of their interests. Not only his own, but he took care of them. He became obedient. He became a servant. He humbled himself. That's what the Bible tells us to do. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he will exalt you. And so Jesus is talking about going to the cross. But you know what? That's the way He's going to be glorified. That is the way He's going to be glorified. Through His shame, through the shame and through the mistreatment, that is the way God is going to be glorified. Because what happens when Jesus dies on the cross? He opens up the way for us to go to heaven. And so He's shamed, He's mistreated, He's abused. And all these things happen... But you know what? Ultimately, God is going to be glorified. We're going to be lifted up from earth, those of us who trust Christ. And we will be glorified with Him one day too. Because we've done what? Given up things. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I don't want to 
get too far ahead of myself. But let's jump into verse 24. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Jesus says, Most assuredly, Now, remember we've talked about those words, most assuredly, Jesus always says, truly, truly, or most assuredly, or I say unto you, amen, amen, verily, verily, whatever your translation says, all those sayings mean, listen up, folks, this is very important. These are words that have eternal consequences. These are words that affect our eternal destiny. And He says, unless... A grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It remains alone. Have you ever thought about the fact that when when a plant produces seeds, those seeds have to die. Literally, they dry up and they die. And if you and if they and if they don't dry up and die, you try to put one of them in the ground. What happens? They rot. Right? They don't grow. But if you let them dry out totally and die, what do they do? Produce a plant. It's usually the next year, right? Usually the next year, you'll that acorn, that tomato seed, that whatever seed it is, it drops off the plant. And after it dries out for a while, a little while later it comes back up. But if you plant it before it dries out, it will never grow. But it has to die. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, unless a grain, but actually in in this passage, from what I understand, the Greek says, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. And what Jesus is saying, unless the grain of wheat, He's talking about Himself. Unless I go to the cross and die, The rest of you are never going to make it to heaven and and bear fruit. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is speaking truth here. He's telling us that this is very important. That He's got to die. He's got to go to the cross. That there's no way that salvation is going to happen unless He goes to the cross and dies. And so this is a definite article. It should say, Unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. So Jesus is talking about Himself and He basically is saying the Greeks, the people of the world, those are the fruit is what He's saying. That unless we trust in Him after He dies on the cross, then it'll never happen. And so Jesus says... Unless that grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit or much grain. And then he goes on to say, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what is he saying right there? Jesus basically says, He who loves his life will lose it. You know, the Bible tells us over and over and over again, was it profit if a man gains the whole world and he loses his soul? That uh, you got to take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow him. And basically, what the world, what the Bible tells us, is if we love this world more than we love God, 
we'll never make it to heaven. That's what First John chapter two verse fifteen to seventeen says. It says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, you're not saved if you love the world." He says, "But if you don't love the world, but you love the Father, then guess what? You'll bear much fruit." And the things that you do will endure for forever. Jesus basically says here that we, we he, when He says hate our life, you know, it's the same as when He says, you remember He says if a man will not hate his mother and his father and his brother and his sister, the Bible when it says hate, what Jesus usually does here is He says, hate is not like absolutely I hate you, but in comparison to my love for Jesus and in my comparison to love for God, that my love for my family, my love for others, my love for this life and this world is as nothing. That's how much we love Jesus, right? I mean, that's what the Bible says. If you will love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, that means your innermost being, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So, love God and love your neighbor. That's what Jesus says is the sum of the Ten Commandments. But you know what? When we love God so much that everything else pales in comparison, that's the kind of love He wants us to have for Him. And that's what He says here. He says, He who loves his life will lose it. I mean, you know, all these people that are loving what they're doing and they're trying to gain everything, gain the whole world, they're going to lose their life because they don't understand to really enjoy this life, you have to die to self. That is when true life really begins. When you trust Christ and you die to yourself and you say, God, I want to be forgiven, I want to be saved, I want to go to heaven and not my will but thine be done, that's when God begins to really work in our life. That's when the joy, the peace, the abundant life comes. Because when we're seeking ourselves, and y'all seen this picture that I carry around that the lady drew, and I don't know if y'all can see it or not, but the picture with the lady with the hole where her heart's at, she's got four little old birds in it, and they're all got their beaks wide open and they're saying, feed me. Up at the top it says, secretly starving. When she was living for the world, when she was living out there doing all the things that the world says is fun, drinking and partying and chasing men and and doing all those things, she said that she was always drawing pictures like this. Because the Bible says without Christ, life can't be enjoyed like it's supposed to be. Life cannot be full. Life cannot be abundant. You cannot have that joy, that peace, that abundant life. But when you trust Christ and you give up everything for Him, at that point, guess what happens? God comes in He completes you because Colossians 2.10 says you're completing Him, right? In other words, there's something missing just like she drew here. There's something missing in your life until you trust Christ. But when you trust Christ, God puts Himself in that hole where we try to put money and people and relationships and success and all those things and when he comes in our life 
all of a sudden, all those things don't become so important. Remember I told y'all a couple of weeks ago, it's like this. I guess it was y'all I told that, that you know, I use old might as commercial. You can pay me now, or you can pay me later. You know what God says? God says if you give up your life now, I'm going to give you eternity. But if you don't pay me now, you're going to pay me later in hell. So we either give up our life, which people think, man, God wants me to give up my life. He doesn't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to do this. He doesn't want me to do that. No, He wants to give us more joy and and wonderful fellowship and more joy and peace and abundant life than we could ever imagine on our own getting this junk of the world. Because this world doesn't satisfy. It just doesn't do it. Jesus says, give it up and you'll get. If you humble yourself, you'll exalt. If you give up your life, you'll gain it. If you give up houses and land and mother and fathers and sisters and brothers, I'll give you what? A hundredfold in the kingdom, right? The Bible tells us one day those that know Christ are going to rule and reign with Him in heaven. That we are kings and priests forever. Isn't that wonderful? Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Colossians 3.3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Colossians 3.5 says, Therefore put to death your members which are on earth. Romans 6.6 says, Knowing that our old man was crucified with him. Romans 6.11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus, alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Paul said in Galatians 2.19 and 20, For through I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I want to stop right there today, but you know, the bottom line is, as God says, give up. Romans 8.18 is one of my favorite verses. It says, the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which we'll have in heaven. Did you know that? We go through a lot in this life. That's why I say you can pay me now or pay me later. See, God uses suffering. He uses the tough things in our life to make us like Him. But one day when this short life is over, guess what? It's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus, right? That's basically what that verse says. It is going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. Because... There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more crying. But in this life, we're to die to ourselves that we might enjoy the wonderful things that God has for us. And it's so hard in our human nature because we always want what we want, right? I was trying to remember what that saying was. The body wants what the body wants. You know, when you're hungry, you want what you want. When When you want something, you just want it, right? 
And it's hard to, to say, well, I want to give that up for Christ. I want to sacrifice something for Christ. I want to give up now to get something later. You know, that's what the financial people tell you to do, right? If you'll sacrifice a little bit now, you can have a whole lot more later. But if you try to have it all now, guess what happens? You get so far in debt that you're in trouble, right? And then you're in trouble the rest of your life. Well, that's the kind of principle God says. He says, just trust me and I'll give it to you when I want you to have it. If I want you to have it. And when I want you to have it. But until then, you just trust me. And follow me. And one day, it's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. Well, let's pray and we'll close. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you that we give up to get. Because ultimately, Lord, those are the byproducts. We, that's not why we're saved. That's not, not why we trust in you. That's not why we do the things that we do. But Lord, we trust in you because... We want to go to heaven and we know the love that you have for us. We love you because you first loved us. And so, Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you gave the ultimate sacrifice. You showed us what it means to give up. And then Jesus has it all now because it all belongs to him because he did what he did on the cross. So, Father, I pray that we would be like Jesus and remember that Everything we do is ultimately going to count in eternity. That what we do now determines what happens in all the rest of eternity. So Father, help us to give up and to quit trying to get and to seek our own ways, but to seek You first. You said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and Your righteousness. And You said all these other things will be added unto us. Father, help us to get our priorities right, to trust in You and to follow You wherever You may lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John eight thirty two.